Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my fellow Earthlings? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? Hope everybody's feeling well, staying safe, sane, active, productive, healthy, all the things that I've been saying at the top over the last few podcasts as we finally made it. The unofficial beginning of summer, for whatever that means, considering the climate that we live in. But we're here. It is Memorial Day. And since the summer has unofficially begun, what's also about to begin is you listening to what is happening in the world of sports through my lens here on the latest edition of the J Reels Podcast, as I'm your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been with me for now, 132 episodes, I welcome you guys back. Again, Memorial Day Monday, May the 25th in the year of our Lord, 2020. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. What to expect here over the course of the next hour is as follows. Dak Prescott, is it true that he squashed rumors about rejecting a five-year, $175 million contract? I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that must be scratching their heads or wondering if Dak Prescott is even worth that or even more because there's been rumors that he wants $45 million a year. Well, you know, I'll have my two cents on that. That'll be later on in the podcast as well as this Brady documentary that it's going to take place next year through ESPN, which if you could check the receipts, people, a few podcasts back when we talked about the last dance, I pretty much forecasted that. So one of the few predictions that I got right Of course, I'll share that uh, later on, as well as two coaching giants in basketball leaving us as 2020 continues to wreak havoc, especially in the sports world and pretty much throughout the entire landscape. But we had Jerry Sloan, formerly the Utah Jazz, and Eddie Sutton, the former and legendary Oklahoma State coach, both passing away this week, so we'll touch on their legacies a little bit later on, as well as my Hero in Zero of the Week, and also a podcast that I have in store for you later on this week, which you certainly won't want to miss. So that'll be toward the end of this podcast. Before I begin, I'd be remiss to not thank the soldiers who fought and died for our country here on this Memorial Day. So for those out there who, of course, even serve our country and fight for our freedom, this goes out to you. Many thanks. I could thank you twice more than once. There's never enough thanks in the world for those who have continued the fight and have fought for our country and have left us. So this goes out to the soldiers here today. As I said just a minute ago, as we top off the beginning of the unofficial start of summer. Now, considering the weather when I look outside, and it's cloudy, it's gray, it's in the mid-60s. I remember Memorial Day being a beach day, a day where you want to be outside. And again, considering the world we live in today, it's not going to be a day where you're going to be surrounded by people or in the company of a lot of people. It's a little bit of a different feel this year, and with the way the weather is, I guess that's a good thing because if it was 85 degrees and the beaches being packed and the parks and streets, etc., it certainly could be a conundrum when it comes to this coronavirus and the numbers spiking up and things of that nature, especially here in the Northeast as New York is starting to open up a little bit. Tomorrow in Westchester County, which is a little bit north of where I live, they'll be opening up businesses. I guess the gyms, the salons, restaurants will probably be not at full capacity, of course, but I would think 25% as it slowly trickles down to the five boroughs and into pretty much the epicenter of all this craziness that's taken place here the last two and a half months. And with that said, I know the governor, Andrew Cuomo, came out and said that the sports facilities could start to open up here in New York, whether you're a Brooklyn Net fan who is looking toward the future and possibly Making a run of the postseason, does that mean Kevin Durant could come back? With his injury to his Achilles being almost a year to the day, figure what, a couple more weeks when he had hurt his Achilles and now maybe the prospect of him returning? Highly unlikely and very doubtful to say the least, but I'm sure if you're the Nets, even the Islanders for that matter, baseball with the Yankees and Mets, that is a good sign when you look at how New York 
is ready to reopen again. But with that being said, there is a little bit of a caveat. I don't want to be a, I won't say a Debbie Downer. How about a David Downer? I know it doesn't have the same ring, but at the same time, even with the light that looks to be at the end of the tunnel, even with the thoughts of all these scenarios, ideas, the storylines of these leagues coming back, whether it's to resume their seasons in the NHL and the NBA, and for a baseball season to finally begin as we've now hit the Memorial Day weekend, the one thing that I have to caution people moving forward, as much as they want to break out the pom-poms and think that sports is going to be right around the corner, I hate to sound like a broken record, people, but until testing, number one, first and foremost, as I said, and two, more importantly, when this virus decides to just say they've had enough and they're going to go off into wherever stratosphere it may be until it may come back around, who knows, in the fall. I can't see sports coming back anytime soon. I know it sounds bleak. I know it's like, oh, Jay Reels, come on. The one thing that we're hoping for to get any type of semblance of normalcy here is to bring the sports world back. And when you looked at yesterday, the match play between Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning, Phil Mickelson, and Tom Brady... I didn't rush to the set to watch that. I didn't watch one second of it. And I understand it was thrilling. I get that you had some shots there. Brady made where he split his pants and it was entertaining. The ribbing back and forth with Charles Barkley and Tom Brady. I'm sorry. I was not going to rush to the set to see what was going to take place there between those guys. And based on what I read, it was in a rainstorm. Maybe not a storm, but it was through a steady rain. So even though, yes, am I dying for sports? Absolutely. But am I that thirsty to go ahead and want to watch a competition where, of course, they did it for charity and they raised $20 million, which is fantastic, going towards COVID-19. I get all that. But I am not that thirsty and certainly not super parched to want to partake in three hours of my afternoon to watch something that is going to be meaningless and pretty much forgettable after today. Sorry, that's just not going to cut it. Now, as far as this whole big picture is concerned, I'll break it down to you and you know I'm going to try to not be as pessimistic and try not to be that person that's going to be that dark cloud over the sport and especially in your earbuds, but I'm just being real here. And if you've listened to my podcast over the week, it's pretty much going to be the same theme, but let's see where we go. I'm going to start off right here as far as the baseball is concerned because everybody's looking forward to baseball. With the way the proposals are working out in the NBA and NHL, it looks like they're probably not going to start until sometime in July. Well, late July, as from what I've read, whereas baseball could pretty much get underway sometime maybe around the 4th of July or even July 1st. And when you look at the baseball landscape, the first thing that comes to mind is what's happening between the owners and players here that it seems to be at a standstill ever since... Two weeks ago when the owners had this proposal of an 82-game season and this gigantic health memo, which is 67 pages, on what the players will need to do here once everybody reconvenes. And it's a long list. And I'll go through some of it. But with baseball looking to be probably the first sport coming back, you would think that they're going to do whatever it takes, the owners and players, and hopefully amicably come together that... Let's say June 1st, which is a week from today, that they'll have a proposal and plan, that they'll have the ball rolling to where their teams could now congregate in Arizona and Florida, continue their spring training. Well, now it'll be almost summer training. Well, not officially, but you get what I'm saying. And then come July 1st or even July 4th, which July 4th is on a Saturday. So maybe they may look to July 3rd as a Friday to kick off the weekend or maybe even that Thursday to 2nd depending on how the schedule is going to break, because that's also another thing, people. If baseball is looking to do this more from a three divisions, whether it's going to be an East division, a Central, and a West, as I'm sure you've seen proposed, where you're going to have the 10 teams in the East, pretty much all the teams in the Northeast will get together and have that one division. You'll have your Central division, and then obviously the teams out West. So whatever the schedule makers are going to come up with, as opposed to using the schedule that they had out for the 2020 season for all the teams, 
And I'm sure they're working furiously around the clock to try to do that. But you also have to remember, people, that even if they were to try to do this here over the course of the next, what we're looking at here, 37, 38 days, whatever it may be, it's still a tall order. But again, I'm not trying to be that thunderstorm right now in everybody's sunshine. So when we look at now baseball, if the owners and players could somehow, some way come together and get this thing straightened out, then that's a positive. Now, we all know there won't be any fans in attendance. We know that fans are a big part of the revenue as far as the players getting their full salaries concerned. But it's weird because two weeks ago they had this proposal and then you hadn't heard anything else since then after the Blake Snell, Bryce Harper, Clayton Kershaw comments, Trevor Bauer, etc. And here we are now, seven days before June 1st and we haven't heard anything and you would think that this is going to be the pivotal week for baseball to put the pedal to the metal and try to get this thing on track to where baseball could be the first sport to come back here once we get to the second half of this calendar. Now, a lot of the reports have come out and said that the players do want to play despite the Blake Snells of the world talking about not wanting to risk his health but at the same time wants to get every red cent. But I did hear in an interview that the player rep for the San Diego Padres did come out and say that They are not looking to want to play or they're not saying that instead of we can play baseball, they want to work out a deal and be able to play baseball. So they're trying to remain optimistic. And I believe that was Austin Hedges. They're remaining optimistic to think that all the players will be on board despite the fact that the differences between the owners and players right now may be at a standstill. But it looks like just like the NBA where Chris Paul and company said that all the players want to play, it seems as if baseball is pretty much holding that same pattern where they're thinking about wanting to go ahead with the season as opposed to being split where people are concerned about their health or they're concerned about the money or concerned about be playing in a bubble location or just one location where they can't be transit or move a lot. They have to pretty much stay in that city from stadium to hotel, etc. And I'm going to explain about that in a minute. Now, with the proposal of the games aside, This health document, which was 67 pages, pretty much detailed every little single thing when it comes to not only just the stuff that's on the field, but the stuff that's off the field, which may be very daunting to the players. And who knows if there's going to be a vote and you would think that the players would have to vote on this. And similar to what we saw here recently with the NFL, where once this information is disseminated to the players... Are they actually going to read word by word, page by page, the entire document of this health memo as well as the financial memo, which I'm sure is probably being revised as we speak. But are they going to peruse this from start to finish or are they going to do the, as I said a few weeks ago, just like the disclaimer that you'll get from Apple or wherever you use your phone or tablet when you have to agree to the terms of service, does everybody literally read every paragraph, every word, every piece of punctuation there to the point where they're going to hit accept? No, they're just going to scroll down to the bottom, hit accept, and away we go. And you would think that the players are going to do the same thing until afterwards when they don't read it and they realize that, wait a minute, why didn't I go back and take a real good look at this thing knowing that I'm signing up for something that they haven't really 100% paid attention to? And the thing with this memo here, just reading some of this stuff, it just makes you say to yourself, how the hell are they going to play baseball this year? When it comes to changing baseballs on every play, I mean, think about this. So let's say, for instance, if the pitcher throws a ball and it's batted in play and it's a fly ball to the right fielder and he catches it, they're going to have to throw that right back in the dugout. They don't even want any of the other players touching the ball because of transmitting this virus could be just as simple as Catching the ball, throwing it, and then let's say the pitcher gets in and he puts his fingers in his mouth. So could you only imagine what the consequences would be like if that's the case? And then what's going to happen if it's a double play where it's a ground ball to third and you have to throw it over to second and that second baseman touches it and then over the first? So that's just number one. And that's, to me, when I think about that, it's almost going to be impossible to try to get rid of every ball that's in play. So that's number one. Number two is there's going to be no spitting, no high fives, which is almost impossible when it comes to baseball. And I get that a lot of players have the gloves on, so if there are going to be any high fives, unless you're out in the field, of course, 
because generally your throwing hand is going to be free of a batting glove. But they're going to have to cut that down, which is almost next to impossible. I guess they're going to have to do it. There's going to be a lot, not even fist bumps. You're going to probably see a ton of elbow bumps, but even then, if skin is exposed, and there's so many ways you could transfer this with sweat, and uh, I don't even know. But you have that to deal with. Also in this memo, it states that there's not going to be any showering in the facilities. That means pretty much they're going to go straight from the clubhouse to the bus and the bus to the hotel where they're going to strip from their uniform and then jump in the shower and then do it that way. And I guess what they'll do is they'll probably put it in the bag, leave the bag outside for the equipment managers to come pick it up. And then that's how they're going to launder it from that point on. And then how are you going to have a bus full of sweaty guys that had just come from playing three hours or if they have double headers, which is I'm sure being proposed seven inning games for double headers as opposed to playing the whole nine. Oh, what's going to happen there when you have these guys that are going to be in this, sharing the same space in a bus, sweaty? How's that going to work? Then on top of that, in their spare time, these guys t- can't take any Ubers, no car service. They cannot go to a restaurant. They cannot go even for a walk. They pretty much are going to have to go to the hotel where they'll have food catered, stay in their room, and pretty much quarantine themselves until the next day when they could get on the bus, go to the stadium, and they probably have to get dressed in there rooms because why would they even think about dressing in a locker room and I'm sure they're gonna have to wipe down all the bats and gloves I mean it's just when you read this and when you look through this whole thing you think to yourself how in the hell is this thing gonna work and that's just baseball imagine the NBA imagine the NHL where these there's no social distancing or at least in baseball there is social distancing to a certain extent I understand not with the batter the umpire and the catcher but at least you could be out in the field and you're going to be spread out where in the NBA and the NHL, you're pretty much on top of each other. And forget about the NFL. Let me not even go there with that. But with all those things outlined and not even getting to the point of the financials when it comes to the game, I tell you, baseball literally has a week to get its act together in order for them to want to start the season on July 1st, July 3rd, July 4th, whatever the date may be, the first week of July. And I understand that the players want to play more games. They want to play into November and have a World Series maybe by Thanksgiving, which to me is preposterous because you don't want to have to worry about a second wave coming and who knows when that's going to come. For all we know, it could come October 15th. Once the leaves start to fall and the weather changes and then the next thing you know, boom, you have a second round of this thing and then you have to shut a season down, which you already lost the first two months and now here you are may have to lose the most important part of your season which would be the postseason or if they were to bleed the season into October and try to set up a playoff in late October into early November or maybe even to Thanksgiving who knows so you have that to deal with so baseball right now I'm sure they're doing whatever it takes who knows what's going to happen here with the owners and players I certainly don't have an idea But they really pretty much have a week to do this because with these facilities being open in Arizona and Florida and with players wanting to go down to their respective spring training sites, and you would think that's going to be the case. I mean, where else are they going to go? All right, maybe with New York opening, does that mean that they'll host, the Yankees and Mets will host their own spring training at the stadium, whether it's Yankee Stadium or City Field? Will they do that as opposed to having them go down to Florida? Obviously, that means travel. And I know if baseball is trying to not necessarily have a hub, but if they want to incorporate some sort of system to where they want to lessen the travel and they want to have more of these players and more of these teams pretty much in one location or have them in a centralized location, you would think Florida and Arizona would be the best spots. Now, the tough thing about it is that as we get into June, we know Florida is steaming hot with tons of humidity and With that comes tons of rain. And in Arizona, you just have that dry desert heat that's going to be cast over all those stadiums and all those facilities where you may have players start tapping out considering what type of exercise and what type of training that they've done here over the last two months. They may have that to deal with. So chances are they may actually go to their respective cities, their respective stadiums and train and work out there. Because it looks like Arizona and Florida may be either A, a wash due to the weather in Florida in particular, or 
it's just going to be baked central when it's 110 in the middle of the afternoon somewhere out in Scottsdale or Glendale or in Phoenix, Arizona. So that's what baseball has to contend with right now. As far as the other sports are concerned, now the NBA, they have this scenario where they're thinking about using the Disney Wild World of Sports in Orlando where it's this gigantic hub with not only the hotels, so they certainly have the space for the players and personnel, but also tons of courts, tons of space where the players can not only train, but also they can have these games being played. When they're going to start this up still remains to be seen. Some of the stuff that I read is that they may resume sometime in the middle of July to where they'll resume a regular season. And what they're thinking about doing is over the course of 90 days, or in this particular proposal that I read, 88 days, so they would fulfill the rest of the regular season, for which for most teams, it's anywhere between 16 to 18 games. So they'll resume a regular season to be completed in 33 days, and then they'll follow that up with a postseason of four rounds in 55 days. Now, who knows what those four rounds will be? Will the first round be a best of five and then the other three series best of seven? Who knows? Now, the regular season games, there's almost going to be no back-to-backs. So I'm sure it's going to be an every-other-day scenario. And the same for the NBA. Because as you know, using the first round of the NBA, they try to separate or they stretch out the schedule for two weeks. So they pretty much play seven games in 14 days. Obviously, they can't do that here. They're going to have to play every other day. So to think... They'll probably have the Eastern Conference, whatever those four series will be, they'll play on one day, the following day will be the Western Conference, and then they'll just flip-flop every day moving forward so that you'll have four games. Now, mind you, if it's going to be in Orlando, you don't have to worry about the time difference, it is in the Eastern time zone, but you would think you're going to have games where they're going to probably start at noon, it's probably going to be 12, 3, 6, and 9, or somewhere in that vicinity. Or maybe they'll start one, then five, nine, and then 12. Who knows? You're going to have basketball all day long. Now, maybe a little bit tricky. I'm sure they'll have four different courts, so maybe they'll have games overlap each other as opposed to just having that one arena where they'll have to spread out the four games over the course of 14 hours or whatever it may be. I'm sure they'll use the Amway Arena, which is the home of the Orlando Magic. That will probably be Obviously, a site where they have one of the games and then Disney, they may have whatever courts that are there. You'll be sure to have games being played in that complex. So they do have a plan in the NBA. It's just a matter of when they're going to get started. And it goes back to everything that I've said before as far as the testing is concerned and how this virus, when is it going to ever going to go away? And I'm sure that their health memo, which has not been detailed or been released, but I'm sure it's going to be similar to baseball. In fact, it's going to be a little bit different because... They're going to play with the one basketball. It's not like, yes, they'll have several basketballs on deck, I'm sure. But at the same time, with everybody sweating on the ball, again, it's just very daunting. And I can't even imagine what the guidelines that the NBA has drawn up as far as from the health standpoint and how they'll be able to pull it off. It's beyond me. And in the NHL, they've approved a 2014 playoff, although there's still several details that remain to be negotiated and They will still have to agree on certain things, but the Players Association did agree on that. So what that means is that the top four seeds in each conference will have buys, and then you'll have seeding from 5 through 12, which means the Rangers will be in the playoffs. And that could be a dangerous proposition for a team that was certainly on the come up here, even though they had their woes throughout parts of the season, but the Rangers were certainly a team that in the second half, right before the pandemic hit were a team that was uh, on the fringe of making the postseason now it looks like from this proposal we'll have a shot to make it to the postseason but you'll have seeds 5 through 12 play one another and it'll be a best of 5 series and then whomever wins those first round games will then play the top 4 in each conference and then you'll pretty much start your playoffs there best of 7 to where it'll end up being 5 rounds of Stanley Cup playoff hockey Now, there have been a couple of hubs that may be discussed. I know Vegas could be one. I don't know if you're going to look at somewhere in the Midwest. Who knows, maybe somewhere in Minnesota where they could use the 
arena at the Wild play in or University of Minnesota, as we all know, they have a hockey team and whatever other rinks that could be used in that area. I'm just throwing that out as an example. But the NHL is pretty much going to incorporate the same mindset that the NBA has where it's going to be in a hub. Now they're going to have the extra round as far as the playoffs are concerned. Maybe they could get to two different cities, which would probably alleviate it a little bit better. I would think basketball is a lot more easier to go in and out when it comes to transitioning with these games. Whereas with players, if they have to share the same arena, they would need time to not only clean, but also pretty much fumigate the whole locker room unless they're going to walk off into the bus with their full gear on. And again, baseball is different. They could just go on with their uniform, whether it's dirty or not. But hockey, you got the shoulder pads, the elbow pads, the shin guards, the, the goalie pads. I guess maybe the goalie could take off the goalie pads, but you get the drift. Certainly going to be a tall order for these teams to get over the hump and try to pick up these seasons and then follow these guidelines where athletes are a creature of habit. You're used to showering and getting undressed at the end of the game, yucking it up with the guys where you're pretty much not going to have to do that. You want to go out to the bar or even a hotel bar? Uh Uh-uh, that's not happening. Oh, I'd like to go to this restaurant? Nope, negative. This is why I didn't want to cast this big giant cloud at the start. And I'm just being real, people. I want sports back. I'm sure people are probably listening to this saying, geez, this guy doesn't want sports back. He doesn't even care about it. He's thinking that it's never going to be part of the American fabric anymore, at least for 2020. No, that's not the case. I'm just looking at what's real here. All you need to know, people, the bottom line throughout all this, and I can't stress this enough, is that if the players, the traveling teams, if they have to go through all this, everything that I pretty much detailed over the last 10 minutes or so, If they have to go through leaps and bounds, jump through fire hoops, swim across rivers, marathon across countries to go through all this, is it really worth it? I understand that there's tons of money involved. The revenue that's generated by these networks that goes to Major League Baseball and even to the NBA. Now, the NHL doesn't have that. The NHL needs fans to be at these games in order for them to get their revenue, especially when it comes to the postseason. But we know that's not happening because there aren't going to be any fans. But I'm sure money will be worked out to the point where players obviously will not only get paid, but at the same time, so will the owners. But this is why I've been saying this for weeks on end. And again, it is not to be a spoiled sport. It's not to be a high, I told you so, and I'm certainly not trying to be the wicked witch of the Bronx right now. But everything that I've detailed, not only just today, but even in past podcasts, talking about the return of sports, how's this going to come to pass, having to deal with this virus, which doesn't want to go away. Although numbers are starting to slow down, and like I said at the top, New York is slowly but surely coming back here. But even then, all it takes is just one. And if we knew for sure that that wasn't going to be the case, then you know what? Hey, let's open everything up. Let's go hit the restaurants, the bars, the movie theaters, the Broadway, ballparks, you name it. But it's still out there. That unknown. And that's all I'm trying to, I I get it. It's doom and gloom. It's macabre. It's, oh, geez, Jay Reels has given us the pessimistic overall Just not a lot of fun, not a lot of hope. Now, what more can I say, people? And I'll just leave it at that. I'll try to boost your spirits from here on out, even though there's not much more to talk about when it comes to sports. But I got a few things that are uh, on the docket here. But that's what we have. And let's hope and pray. Let's hope and pray that baseball has everything in store by this time next week. Let's hope that the NBA, the players are starting to convene and that they're looking at July 15th to start. Same for the NHL. Obviously, with the football, you don't have to worry about that until we get into late July where training camps will start up, etc. But all I'm hoping for is just some better news next week. And even with that virus still out there and the unknown, but knowing that there is a schedule, that there is a plan in place, and that the leagues will go ahead and venture forward, then we can look toward that light at the end of the tunnel. Although we still see the light, it's miles away right now. Let's just hope a week from today, that light will be right in front of our faces. It's interesting with the NFL pretty much taking up the bulk of the sports news 
here in the last two months, whether it was the free agency back in March. Of course, we had the draft last month. Brady and him going down to Tampa, which I know was huge news. We also had the last dance that we chewed on here over the last five weeks. And even though they had the Lance Armstrong documentary last night, part one on ESPN, but I certainly had no interest in that. I'm sure you may learn a little bit from it, but I, please, I could care less. Uh, and part two is next week. Uh-uh. Not for me, thanks. And then you have the Blackballed, which I know is on Quibi, that app that just recently came out there for all the uh, tech nerds. Blackballed is the story of Donald Sterling and the 2014, pretty much they got rid of the embattled owner and his comments made toward his team. I know a lot of people were looking forward to that, even though it's on a different platform. It's not on an available platform for everybody. Of course, you have to download the app and I'm sure you have to pay whatever it is per month, but uh, I certainly haven't been on board when it comes to watching that. So it makes me think, like, what else is there to talk about? Besides just the obvious and trying to get to the state of sports to where we could come back and open up our arms to embrace it once again. But there are a few things that I could share. And the first thing I think about when it comes to the NFL and for all the Cowboy fans out there, I'm sure they got to be disgusted with this whole Dak Prescott stuff because although the rumors have been squashed of the five-year $175 million proposal to keep Dak Prescott as a member of the Dallas Cowboys. But then you're hearing all these other stories that although they didn't quell on those rumors, but that Prescott wants $45 million a year. And if you're Dak Prescott right now, and I could talk about the plight of this country and unemployment, which is now, I believe, at $38 million, And you know what? Who am I to tell him how much money to take? And I would never do that. But is $35 million a year, and who knows how much guaranteed, he's going to get over $100 million guaranteed with a $175 million contract. But you know what, my guy? Just take it and go with it, and that's it. Are you really going to look at $10 million, which you may not even see toward the back end, but as long as you're going to get your $100, $110, $115 million guaranteed, then just take that and be happy and suit up when training camp opens, if it does open, and take it from there. Because if he's going to ask for $45 million a year, and if he ends up getting it, then when Patrick Mahomes is on the market, what the hell is he going to get? Mahomes is going to probably ask for $50 million minimum. And sadly, as exorbitant as amount of money that is, but you could look at Mahomes and say, well, hell, he deserves it. Because he's a great young quarterback. He's already won a Super Bowl. He has a window here over the next few years that he could probably win another one. His return actually justifies the means of him making that type of money, although as astronomical and as crazy as it may sound, but hey, he's a guy that may be worth it. Whereas Dak Prescott, we all know he's more of a product of his offensive line and his running game. We haven't seen Dak Prescott in that one moment lead his team with his arm and his legs to a certain degree to victory time after time after time after time. So that's the one thing I'm sure NFL fans and even more so Cowboy fans either are frustrated, up in arms, who knows. I would like to take a pulse of that. I got to get in touch with my guy, JD, to see what he thinks about that. If I was him right now, I'm sure he's probably feeling the same way I would feel. He's not worth the money, but we need a quarterback. Andy Dalton's not going to be the answer. He's not going to be the guy long-term. So hopefully he signs on the dotted line for whatever it is, and away we go. So you have that deal. And funny enough, speaking of Patrick Mahomes, I know the NFL is looking to adopt this 4th and 15 play or rule, if you want to call it that, when it comes to not using the onside kick. As we've seen over the last couple of years, the onside kick has pretty much been unsuccessful, for lack of a better word. You know, you don't have the success rate that you once had when it comes to the onside kick. I believe this past year, what was it? Uh, It was probably less than 10% or somewhere around that of recovering the onside kick. I want to say it was less than that. Where in the past, it was somewhere between 20 to 25% as far as being able to get the ball from an onside kick. But when you have a guy like Patrick Mahomes, 4th and 15, it may seem like 4th and 5. And that he was open to being in a scenario. Now, I'm sure if you're Mahomes and the Chiefs, you don't want to be in a situation where it's 28-23 
you have to not go for an outside kick, but you elect to go for fourth and 15. But when you have a guy like that and you have speedy receivers as he does, shoot, fourth and 15 would seem like uh, fourth and inches. So, and I actually like that because the onside kick, if it's come to the point where it's pretty much useless, then they have to come up with something else. And fourth and 15 is fine. That'd be from their 25-yard line. So you pretty much have one play. Now, the one thing is, which is going to be tricky, especially for the defensive coordinators out there and the coaches, is that you have to make sure. You have to make sure that the play is in front of you. Obviously, you don't want to get burned. You don't want to get burned for holds or illegal contact, especially if you're a DB or even a safety for that matter. You want to make sure that you're at whatever that 15, at the 40-yard line, I guess it would be, you want to make sure that your secondary is going to play maybe at the 38, 35-yard line. Give them that little cushion. Make sure you don't get anybody past you, that you're in position enough to know that if they're actually going to try to run a fly pattern or just run some long route that you could be able to go with the receiver step for step. The last thing you need is just to have a killed or holding penalty and then they'll have the ball and all they need to do is just march down the field whether they have timeouts or not, but just knowing that they have possession and that they could certainly put themselves in position to win the game, I tell you, then you're going to have rules about, oh, there shouldn't be any penalties on the play. Well, I mean, (laughs) you know, you can't have it both ways. So that's just something to think about there. As far as Tom Brady, I said this weeks ago in the middle of the last dance Somewhere, I guess, after episodes three and four, five and six, where I said, I wouldn't be surprised if ESPN in the years to come will come out with content in reference to certain storylines or even players for this matter. And I mentioned Tom Brady, pretty much the New England Patriots on a whole. But now you're going to have this nine-part series of Tom Brady being released next year. You figure somewhere down the pike, you're going to have something with LeBron James. I'm sure as he gets to his last season, he's probably going to have that documented. As you know, years ago, during his final season, Kobe Bryant had filmed, I believe, on and off the court, detailing his final year as a Laker. Who knows when that's going to be released. I'm sure they're going to have to have permission from the estate, and you think Vanessa Bryant's going to be involved. So you may not see that until somewhere down the road. But the point of the matter is, is that you're going to see a lot of these types of documentaries going to be released, whether it's from a team standpoint, you would think, whether it's the New England Patriots or even the Golden State Warriors during their five-year run where they made it to the finals five straight years and won three titles, or to have a guy like LeBron James or whomever the hot guy is or the best player of all time, whatever it is, you're going to see a lot of these types of documentaries, I would think, moving forward from all these various platforms, not just ESPN, whomever has the rights, whomever has permission, etc. So if anybody's interested in that, You'll have to wait a year. Who knows if it's going to be the beginning of the year, during the summer. So that's something if you're a Brady fan or even a New England Patriot fan, I'm sure you're looking forward to witnessing that. And the Jets also signed Joe Flacco, the former Super Bowl MVP of the Ravens back in Super Bowl 47. He signed a one-year deal to back up Sam Darnold and the New York Jets. Now, before I get to the NBA, as far as baseball is concerned, The Yankees seem to be on the mend here. James Paxton, remember he had that back injury where he needed surgery back in February. He was going to miss the first three months of the season. Well, he's come back and he stated that he's ready to go. Talk about how time flies. So if the season were to start tomorrow, and we all know it's not the case, but he's ready to go ahead and, and this is his walk year, by the way. He's he's ready to go ahead and has the green light to do everything he possibly can to get himself in the rotation. So I'm sure that's good news for the Yankee fans. And the not so good news, what's the deal with Aaron Judge and his health status is concerned is beyond me. Here's a guy who had that injury diving for a ball last year, or I believe it was a rib, which didn't heal. There was even concerns about possibly getting the rib removed because he was having trouble not even just breathing, but trying to even swing a bat. Just some, I mean, you can't even make this up. But Judge is a guy that right now, he's not back 100%. And who knows what that means also for Giancarlo Stanton and some of the other guys on the team who have had all these maladies throughout the course of the last couple of years. But in Judge's case, here's a guy that we all know, 6'7", 280, he's a big guy. Something tells me he needs to hire Tim Grover as his personal trainer because as you saw in the last dance, 
when Michael Jordan had to transition from basketball to playing baseball, there were different muscles, different core muscles that needed to be used as far as him playing baseball as opposed to playing basketball. And when he went back to playing basketball, he had to ramp up his body to get himself in basketball shape. So you got to wonder. He can lift all the weights he wants, does all the plyometrics, the resistance bands, whatever it may be, but maybe he's working on the wrong muscles here. Or he has the regimen that, yes, will make him as big of a specimen as he possibly could be. But just because you could lift 9,000 pounds and you could run a 4 5 40 and do all these various exercises doesn't mean that you're 100% in baseball shape. So who knows? I'm sure Tim Grover will be a guy that will work him into shape and maybe not even have an injury for the rest of his career. As I detailed last week, in that 96 to 98 where the Bulls had played 304 games, how many of those games did Michael Jordan miss? A big fat zero. So who knows? Maybe Aaron Judge needs to reach out to him in order to get himself in the best baseball physical shape as possible. And then funny, I saw something on the guide last night, and this is way off the beaten path, people, but I, I just got a kick out of this. So last night, as I'm looking through the channel guide, I noticed on Yes Network, that the Yankees were playing, and they usually have the Yankee Classics, which we all know they're mostly World Series games and playoff games and some regular season games as well. But I couldn't believe what I saw when the Yankee Classic was Game 7 of the 2001 World Series. I almost fell out of my chair. It made me think, wait a second, the Yankees are actually showing a loss on the Yankee Classics? And it was a classic game, no matter how you cut it. And I get it that the Yankee fan probably doesn't want to relive that. We all know that was 2001, right after 9-11, etc. But I was just shocked to see that. And kudos to the Yes Network for doing that. So, give it up to them. Because we all know they'll play a game from July, a meaningless game where, yeah, James Paxton may have pitched seven innings and struck out 12 and gave up one hit, but they'll put that as a Yankee classic. I mean, give me a break. And not just the Yankees do that. The Mets do that too. And I'm sure a bunch of other teams do the same thing where they deem these games as classic, quote-unquote. So, For what that's worth, I was actually a little bit surprised and actually gave the Yes Network some props on them showing that game. And I believe they showed the 1960 Game 7 of the Yankees and Pirates, the Mazeroski home run, which as we all know, that was classic. It was the only Game 7 walk-off home run in the history of the sport. So I could see maybe the Yankee fan, and there weren't a lot of Yankee fans around to even watch that, myself included. So if you're a baseball fan, I'm sure you'd want to see how that game unfolded. And But anyway, I digress. That was just something I found a little bit uh, interesting as far as a broadcasting thing is concerned. All right, now let me get to one other thing before my Heroes Zero of the Week and also a programming note for later on this week. So basketball lost two big giants here as far as coaching is concerned. The first one being Jerry Sloan. He of the Utah Jazz was a former player of the Chicago Bulls back in the 70s. When he played on those teams, obviously well before Jordan, whether it was Bob Love, Norm Van Leer, Tom Borwinkle, those players of those teams back then. He was a hard-nosed guy, a guy that was no-nonsense even when it came to coaching. Coached 22 years with the Jazz after the 88 season. I believe the start of the 88-89 season was when he became coach. That was when Frank Layden was the coach of the Jazz during that uh, heyday. Well, he leaves us here at the age of 78 due to Parkinson's disease and also dementia. And he was a guy that, as I said, was no nonsense, was tough as nails, was going to call it like he saw it. And just unfortunate that uh, he loses battle here with Parkinson's dementia. And as I've been saying, it seems like every week over the last, since the start of the year, thoughts and prayers goes out to the Sloan family. Just sad to see of his passing. As, uh, again, the former Utah Jazz great leaves us here at the age of 78. And then the other coach that left us over the weekend was Eddie Sutton, most known to be the coach of the Oklahoma State Cowboys, who brought his teams to Final Fours, the last one being 2004, when they played Georgia Tech, I believe. That was Chris Bosh's team, and that 04 team had Tony Allen. I'm trying to think who else was on that Oklahoma State team off the top of my head. Jeez, it's... Uh, can't think right at the moment, but uh, Eddie Sutton is a guy who, over 800 college wins, also coached at Kentucky there briefly, but uh, has coached a bunch of teams to the Final Four. Uh, as a matter of fact, coached, I believe, three teams into the NCAA tournament. 
a guy that was certainly revered throughout college basketball, and even to add insult to injury, unfortunately, he was a guy that was elected to the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame this year, and unfortunately, he'll be the second person inducted posthumously along with Kobe Bryant. So you have two giants of the sport going into the Hall of Fame this year that won't be present for this honor, and that is just, I mean, what can you say? That's 2020 right there in a nutshell. When you have two guys that are going into the Hall of Fame this year that won't have their last moment of basketball to shine their light on because they both succumb to death here is just, I mean, what else can I say? It just, it's unbelievable. But thoughts, prayers to Coach Sutton as he died of natural causes again at the age of 84 on Saturday. And uh, yes, we'll be sure to look out if they're going to have that ceremony. Who knows what the... Coronavirus, now again, I believe that's in September, late August, early September. I'm sure he'll have somebody speak for him as well as for Kobe Bryant. So the next time we'll get to see Eddie Sutton and even Kobe Bryant for that matter on that last stage will be that Hall of Fame induction ceremony. So thoughts, prayers go out to Eddie Sutton once again. Now to my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week is former Georgetown Hoyer, New York Nick Patrick Ewing who came out with a statement the other day stating that he has the coronavirus, that he's going to be fine. He's going to sequester himself off for the next week or two to get himself back in physical shape. So he certainly has sent out his thoughts to everybody, knowing that he's going to be okay. And now, in turn, I'm going to send my thoughts and prayers to the Hoya big man who I enjoyed in those years at Georgetown. If you didn't listen to my podcasts back, uh, I'd say about a month ago, when I talked about celebrating my team's big successes, their big victories, and also detailing and highlighting the lowlights as far as the losses that I suffered rooting for my favorite sports teams. And and as you may or may not know, Georgetown is my favorite college basketball team, so I certainly experienced a lot of highs and lows when it came to number 33 in your scorecard, Patrick Ewing. So hopes and thoughts to a speedy recovery, my man, and for him to get back to the Georgetown campus to ramp up another college basketball season come this fall. And my zero of the week is Ryan Leaf. Now, he was arrested on Friday due to a misdemeanor domestic battery charge. We all know he's had a checkered past, was part of a two-year prison sentence for drugs back in 2012. Then, once he got out of prison, he cleaned himself up to the point where he was part of the, I believe still is, I don't know if they released him yet, but became a part of the ESPN family, being an analyst on college football. I don't know the status of that, if they've released him or if it's a situation where this charge, although it's a misdemeanor, it's not felonious, but in this day and age, we all know you do something on the wrong side of the law, you're pretty much going to get your job revoked. And as of right now, I don't know if that's the case, but Ryan Leaf, who is, we all know his life, number two pick overall, right behind Peyton Manning, short tenure in the NFL, and then from then on out was certainly hit by drugs and incarceration and just trying to stay on the right path. Well, unfortunately, he goes a little bit to the left there and has this domestic battery charge, which was released on $5,000 bond in Palm Desert, California, but who knows what's going to happen from here on out. Hopefully, better days will lie ahead for him, but unfortunately, at this stage of the game, right at this moment, he is my zero of the week. And as far as my podcast for later on this week, you definitely want to tune into that as we're going to discuss baseball with broadcaster of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Victor Rojas. He is the play-by-play guy for the aforementioned team. We're going to discuss not only baseball here in 2020, will there be baseball played? We'll also get into his thoughts as far as will baseball be back as early as July the 1st? Also get into his career as he comes from a baseball family himself with his father being Kuki Rojas, who a lot of people know in this region as the third base coach for the Mets back in the 99 and 2000 seasons. And we'll also touch in on his clothing brand that he has out, as well as what it's like to cover baseball's superstar and best player in the game, Mike Trout. So that'll be released on Thursday. You definitely want to listen to that as that was a very good conversation I had with Victor Rojas. A lot of insight, a lot of information So you definitely want to stay tuned for that. So make sure you mark your calendars for Thursday afternoon sometime to take a listen to that. And for those who've been listening to me, whether it's your first time, 20th time, 100th time, or 132nd time, as I ask everybody 
to go ahead and please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary. If you haven't done so already, please, it just takes seconds. Just go to your app or wherever you get your podcast, hit subscribe, and the minute you do so, you won't have to worry about what time that the podcast is going to be released because it will pop up on your phone. All you have to do is either download it or just play it right from your phone, tablet, or even on a PC for that matter. You could also go to the website at jreels.com as I'm going to update that throughout the course of the week as I got a couple of media things that I've been involved with. So you definitely want to check that out if you can. And the reason why I ask you to subscribe, rate, and review is because it's only going to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. As we all know, there's a zillion podcasts in the universe and in hopes to generate interest for those who aren't familiar with this podcast, whether it is the former athlete, the current athlete, the broadcaster, sports writer, blogger, etc., so that I could get a lot of traffic come my way so people will know that this is a all sports podcast. It's not just a niche podcast. I'm not talking fantasy football. I'm not talking just MMA or baseball, football. I talk everything, people, as you well know. So please go ahead and do that. As well as follow me on any of my social media accounts to be abreast on everything that's happening with me and, of course, the podcast. And you could do so by sending me your questions, comments, criticism, praise to my Instagram account, whether it's J Reels or the J Reels podcast. On my Twitter feed at JReels1, just a number at the end of that. The JReels podcast on my Facebook fan page. And if you want to send me an email the old-fashioned way, you could do so at the JReels podcast at gmail.com. Please, people, send me it all. In fact, I'm still looking for questions for a future Ask Me Anything podcast. And I'm going to post that also on all of my social media accounts later on today and throughout the course of this week. I actually have a very good response, but I still need quite a few more questions. I would like quite a few more. The more the merrier. So whatever questions that you may have on sports, life, health, wellness, what I've done throughout the course of this pandemic, what's my favorite ice cream, whatever it is, I don't care. Please send it over and I'll be sure to follow up with you in reference to that because as everybody knows, each and every Monday I come on here to share my thoughts, my opinions, my analysis as I love to do so each and every week and hopefully twice a week as you'll hear later on. So whether it's on the diamond, on the ice, on the gridiron, on the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, you always know that the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect on everything that's going on in the world of sports. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time, this coming Thursday here on the J Reels podcast, on the flipping.